0: out of the blue, I get a letter from NASA. And I'm like, why is NASA writing me? I said, wow, they they really must went really far back into my college transcript to find out that I studied engineering a little bit. And I I wasn't going to take the interview. And my dad, I was living with my dad at the time. And he said, son, he, my dad's a diplomat. He goes, son, you never, you never should turn down an opportunity to do an interview. It's good practice, even if you don't want to do it. Staying motivated takes work. If you don't work on your motivation, you become unmotivated. Join Umar Jang as he shares inspirational stories and tips to get you motivated to do whatever you need to do. This is the Motivational Voice Podcast.
1: Hi everyone, welcome to the Motivational Voice Podcast. This is session number 37. Do you consider yourself a well mannered person? Well, I am, at least I do, and I hope that you are too. I was taught at a very young age to be respectful, to treat people the way I want to be treated, to be humble, to be kind, among other things. Having good manners has allowed me to have access to opportunities that, frankly, Had I been a different person, someone who is full of himself, cocky, etc., I probably wouldn't have access to those opportunities. As an adult, my manners and the way I carry myself and treat others is a critical part of who I am, and I am grateful that my parents taught me that. So today my guest Donald James is talking about manners, of course, and sharing tips on how to cultivate manners and incorporate them into your life. So without delay, let's listen to my discussion with Donald. All right, Donald, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Umar. I'm happy to be with you today. Yeah, it's good to have you on the podcast. Well, would you take a second and introduce yourself to our listeners and tell us who you are and what you do? Thank you. Um Donald Gregory James. I live in Northern
0: California and grew up in California. I went to school primarily in California. Um, and I had a fascinating upbringing in life and career and uh, started off uh, with my brother and me, with my mother who raised us uh, by herself. Uh, later on, our grandmother came to join us. Um, and as a black man living in California in the 60s and 70s, I know from my mother was very important to uh, rear us properly and expose us to uh, people that she felt were good role models, and she also stressed the importance of education. She was a teacher herself, and um, and so she was very she worked very hard to support us. Uh, Although I I was in I knew my dad and he was a diplomat and we stayed with him periodically. It was mainly my mother and grandmother who reared my brother and me. Um, I was very fortunate after graduate school, I got to work for NASA, the space agency, which wasn't really my first choice of a place to work, but we can talk about that later and why I decided to go to NASA and why I decided to stay. Um, But I made my, uh, I hung my hat at NASA and chose to be uh, in education and external programs because I really saw how NASA could inspire so many people to do great and wonderful things, and I wanted to be a part of that. I retired in 2017 and came back to California. I was working in Washington, D.C. at the time in the Obama administration, and I came back to California and started consulting and working on a book that I'm really, really excited about and I really look forward to talking about it with you today. So. Um, I'm married, 32 years, I have two beautiful children who are both, fortunately they're successful and they're out of the house, a daughter who's an actor in New York and a son who's in business, uh, who lives not far from us, and so we're, we feel very fortunate. So thank you, I'm just very excited to be here.
1: Yeah, no, I'm excited to have you. And you, you mentioned education and external programs, which is what you did at NASA. Yes. Yes. What is that? And and well I think well, I should probably take a step back. Why NASA? Yeah. So
0: yeah, so NASA is it was really interesting because I my original passion and interest was aviation. And both my brother and I wanted to fly planes. We lived In Sacramento, California, we lived near the airport. We saw airplanes all the time. And then when my dad got in the foreign service, we traveled to Africa and Southeast Asia. And I was just so enthralled with these big airplanes. I said, oh, I wanna fly these things. And so did my brother. So fast forward, when I went to college, I I didn't know what I really wanted to do, but I knew I wanted to fly planes, so I decided to get into the ROTC, which is Reserve Officers Training Corps, which was one of the few ways that I had learned that you could learn how to fly planes with Air Force. And then I just picked a major that sounded close to aviation, so I picked aerospace engineering. It wasn't a very thoughtful way of approaching how to choose a major, And then I had a real cathartic experience in my my sophomore year of college when I decided that, um, number one, I didn't fit very well with the military culture. And I have nothing against the military. It's just that it wasn't for me. And I found the engineering rather boring. And in retrospect, it was after the Apollo program. So a lot of things weren't really happening. And the computer revolution hadn't really started. So I changed majors totally. And because I had lived overseas, particularly in developing countries, I decided I want to go save the world from the scourge of poverty and destitution. That's what I was going to do. And then fast forward, I'm in graduate school. I'm really focusing in on my skills. I'm learning economics. And I decided, well, I don't want to be an economist, but I don't have any practical hands-on skills to do any work. So what am I going to do? And somebody had suggested a program that the U.S. government had called a Presidential Management Intern Program. And if you're fortunate to get selected to this, then you get to be on like this special list and the government gets to find you and you get to find agencies that have these select slots. And so I was looking around trying to find slots to go work and go save the world, right, from the scourge of poverty and destitution. And and that wasn't really panning out. And then out of the blue, I get a letter from NASA. And I'm like, why is NASA writing me? I said, wow, they, they really must went really far back into my college transcript to find out that I studied engineering a little bit. And I, I wasn't going to take the interview. And my dad, I was living with my dad at the time. And he said, son, he, my dad's a diplomat. He goes, son, you never, you never should turn down an opportunity to do an interview. It's good practice, even if you don't want to do it. So I said, okay, I'll do it. So I did the interview. And I was, and oh I was straight up with the interviewers. I said, look, I love NASA's really cool. And it's great. But you know, I kind of have another idea about what I wanted to do. And I told him that I was very honest and candid in the interview. And the day after the interview, the guy from the personnel office called me. In fact, I was asleep. My dad had to wake me up. He said, and I write about this in my book. He said, "This guy from NASA's on the phone." And I said, "All right." So I answered the phone. He said, "You know, they, Mr. James, they, re, you were really impressive in the interview, and they want to offer you a position." And I'm, I'm still waking up. I'm like, "What? You know, I can't. Really? Why?" So I told them, I said, look, I, I am trying to work out another deal with a couple of other agencies. I promise I will get back to you, but I I, I I, can't make a decision right now. And no kidding, they called me every day for three days straight, asking me if I had made up my mind. And on the fourth day, I told my dad this, and he said, you know, because I was living with my dad at the time, I was freeloading, right? <laughs> I was in graduate school, freeloading. And I said, I told him what happened. He said, well, this is an actual job that actually pays. So you might want to consider that. And I got the subtle hint that, you know, it's time for you to get out of the nest, pal. So I called the NASA people up and I accepted it. And in my mind, what I was thinking was, I'm doing this so that I can get practical experience. Because I know that what i lacked i had good academics but i lacked practical experience and what i want to do is take that practical experience and leverage it and maybe in three or four years then i'll go off and solve the world's problems of poverty and destitution and then something happened in 1986 that totally changed my life in 1986 the space shuttle challenger exploded January 26 on launch. And that shook NASA to the core. It shook the nation to the core. It's a bad metaphor, but for NASA and much of the country it was sort of like our version of 9/11 where her whole sense of, you know, good for NASA was shattered. And I was fortunate that I had met the guy who was running education previously. And he called me up and he said, this was several weeks after the accident. He said, Donald, the agency had planned to take the teacher, see there was a teacher on that shuttle, um, Krista McAuliffe. And the plan was after she came back, they were gonna take her around the country to meet with teachers and students and talk about the lessons that she had on the shuttle. So they decided they were going to take the backup astronaut to um, Krista McAuliffe. Her name was Barbara Morgan from Idaho. And I was working in public affairs at the time or public relations, if you're in a company, a corporation, public affairs. And they said, we want you to go with Barbara to her speaking engagements and introduce her and basically take care of her as she travels around the country talking about the Challenger accident and education in NASA. So I got to do that. So I got to know the backup astronaut really well. And Umar, it was during that time that I had an epiphany. I saw hundreds and hundreds of teachers at conferences come to meet the teacher from NASA, come to see me speak about, you know, NASA that introduced Barbara. And students were there. they took them out of school to see this. This happened everywhere. It was the most unbelievable thing that I saw. And there was one specific incident that happened that really is what I point to that was pivotal. At one conference, it was in Los Angeles. Typically what happens is I introduce Barbara and she speaks, then I close down the press event and then the people come and they get autographs. And then my job is to be the bad guy. I have to look at the clock and take her away to our next event. And this little boy came up to me. I'm standing off to the side on the dais. And this little boy comes up to me with a notebook. And he's holding his notebook and a pen for me. And I look down and I realize he he wants me to get the autograph from Barbara. And I said, go ahead and get in line. I'll make sure that she signs your autograph. Don't worry, I'm not going to take her away. And he looked at me and he says, no, I I want your autograph. And I said, my Mm -hmm. autograph? I'm not the astronaut. She's the astronaut. And he looked up at me and he said, yeah, but you work for NASA and that is so cool. And Umar, I knew right then that NASA was where I was going to make my career because I realized if I could work for an agency that can have that kind of impact on young people, then that's what I wanna do. And that's what I did. In fact, eventually I ended up leading the entire education program for NASA. My last job under President Obama was as the Associate Administrator for Education and so that moment in Los Angeles was the beginning of the change for me where I realized what my calling was and that was just wonderful. So that's how I got into NASA, why I stayed with NASA, and to this day I'm still fiercely loyal.
1: Yeah, and how far into your into your uh, stay at NASA was this? Was this earlier on or yeah. later in your career? This was earlier on. So I began at NASA in
0: 1982. And the Challenger accident was 1986, so it was four mm-hmm. years later. And it was probably two or three, about a couple of months after the Challenger accident because I remember it was getting to be about springtime that I was asked to go with Barbara. So it was about four and a half years after I started. And remember, I wasn't planning on staying, but I changed my mind then, and I never regretted it.
1: You focus, I understand that you would focus on teaching People basically, how to navigate their careers based on on various uh, things that you learn from your your uh, your long career at NASA. Can you talk a little bit more about that? What is it that you you teach in terms of how you approach career and, yeah. and how is it different from let's say the regular career advice that you would get from a school counselor or a career coach or something like that?
0: Yeah, this is a great question. So just to contrast what my focus is now with what my responsibilities were with the space agency. My job in the space agency was to manage different programs to support students to be interested in STEM related fields because NASA wanted to hire these students in NASA or in aerospace in general. So we had a lot of different programs. We had internship programs. We had scholarships and fellowships and things like that. So I was exposed to a lot of students. I personally interviewed hundreds of students in my career. I've seen, you know, them, you know, become into NASA and grow up and be, you know, uh, successful people. So I was exposed to a lot of that. So when I when I finished with my career, The summer after, I I retired March 31st, 2017, and that summer, the chief scientist at NASA had asked me to give a talk to that summer's crop of interns, and they wanted me to talk about my career and things that I learned. And so at the end of that talk, this young man asked me this very good question In fact, it's a question that I would suggest a lot of young people ask, older people like me. I'm 64 now. And he said, if I could go back in time and talk to my 20-year-old self, knowing what I know now, what would I advise myself? And I thanked him for that great question because I hadn't really given it a lot of thought. So I pondered for a minute. And I told him three things. I said, first, I said I would say yes a lot more to opportunities that came my way. I would say yes, a lot more. And I realized in my career, there's things that I didn't pursue or things that I turned down probably because I was afraid or I didn't want to move or I was concerned that I wasn't good enough to do the job. And in hindsight, I wish I would have said yes a lot more. The second thing I said to him is, I would really tell my younger self to heed the advice of his mother who said, manners will take you where brains and money won't. That's the title of my book. And I said to that young man that what I learned in my career is that being smart isn't good enough. Being smart is not good enough. Everybody in NASA is smart. I'm probably the least smart of all of them. And I was smart enough to get in, but, you know, everybody is very smart. But what's also true is not everybody is successful who's in NASA, and some people's careers uh, don't go very well. Some people get fired and lose their jobs, and usually it's not because they're incompetent. It's usually not because they're not smart. It's because they didn't have their manners right. And I spend some time talking about what I mean by manners. So it's much broader than just simple things. So I told that young man that it's very important that I pay attention to this because it took me a while to really figure out, you know, that truth and operate from that. And people understand this intuitively. I mean, let me put it this way. There are people would not would, would agree with me that there are smart people who are in prison right? I mean, look at the college admissions scandal that just recently unfolded. In fact, a big part of that involved my alma mater, USC in Los Angeles. There's a Netflix special about the admissions scandal. Now, those people aren't stupid. They're, they're smart people, but they're also in jail. So, you know, just because you're smart is not your your hall pass out of trouble. You have to have Other things in order to stay out of trouble. And also being rich is not your key to salvation. How many rich people do you know who are depressed, who are sad, who are not happy, right? They can't buy their way into happiness, right? I'm not saying that all rich people are sad. I mean, many of them aren't. You know, I'm I'm listening to Bill Gates's book right now. He seems like a happy guy and he's pretty wealthy. But what I do know is that there are people that have means, they don't have debt, and by all accounts, they should be happy people, but they're not. So brains, smartness, and money is not going to take you where you want to go, wherever that is. You need something else. And my mother said manners was important, and so she 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 gave me that advice and so I told that young man that and then the third thing I told him is that I said well the other thing I would tell young donald is that somewhere along his career he's going to hear about these companies called google and apple and facebook and you'd be well advised to buy stock in those companies <laughs> So they got a big kick out of that. and obviously, you know, I didn't get a chance to go back and tell myself that. otherwise, I really would be very, very wealthy right now. But uh, so that's um, that's what inspired me to write this book because the book is a longer version of my answer to that question. I truly believe this is the secret sauce to, how people can think about navigating their future. For one thing, it, I start off by saying, admitting two things that are very critical. One is this book is not a work, of scholarship, right? I do stand on the shoulders of a lot of people and other writers, many of whom I acknowledge, uh, but it's really my experiences and what my mother told me and all the training that I have. The other thing that I say in the book is that there are many paths to the throne, many paths to the throne meaning there's lots of ways to your own personal salvation or your own personal growth or whatever the mountaintop is i'm not saying that my way is the right way i'm saying my way is a way and it's my offering to people to think about these things these tools some of most of which i believe are foundational tools that if you cultivate these skills of manners broadly speaking then I really believe you are going to do very, very well. Uh, My two kids are case in point uh, through no fault of mine. uh, They just picked up things. They both do very, very well. They get lots of high compliments. They also happen to be very smart. They get better grades than I ever got, but they know, they understand manners. They know how to have empathy for people. They understand respect. They understand integrity. They know the difference between right and wrong and good and bad. And those are important dimensions, right? There are a lot of very nice, polite people who are also criminals. So it, there's a moral element to what I'm talking about. And so the book is really my offering to young people, particularly uh, of how I see the world in terms of living and career and all of that stuff and there's tools that are involved and there's skills and things and any of which i'm
1: happy to talk about so i think yeah that's very interesting i think is particularly mentioning how manners called a special or or a primary place in, in in your career or at least people should consider that I really identify with that because I was brought up as someone who, from well, I was originally from West Africa, Senegal, so that was really important to to my my parents. I mean, my mom was fairly severe in terms of the discipline, and yeah. it wasn't unheard of that she would give you that one look, and then you would stop because you knew what was going to happen next. Yes, time. that's right, <laughs> that's right, that's right. So I take those things that I learned from my parents, those really manners, to go back to what you were saying, as being crucial and super important to my career and, and my personal projects and, and everything that I do. But for someone who maybe they haven't really thought about it that way, maybe because some people have dual personality from the perspective that when they go to work, they become a different person. And when they go home, they change and become another person. And the work person, quote unquote, or the work persona maybe the manager who goes in and takes care of business and he's strict and maybe authoritarian or maybe he's even a good manager, but he feels like, or he or she, is a completely different person when he's at work. How would one infuse manners into that work persona in a way that that works well?
0: Yeah, that's that's very important because uh, first of all, I strongly believe it begins with a decision that a person makes that manners are important and they're willing to dive in and try to understand it. To me, it starts with basic awareness, being very, very aware, being aware of yourself, being aware of the people that you're with. I often invite uh, people that I talk to. Next time you're in a group conversation, even if it's a Zoom call, it's not the best example, but if you're in a group conversation, just choose for the moment to just observe the conversation, the dynamics. Who talks the most? Who listens the most? Who asks questions about the other person's point of view and tries to learn? Is it her turn and his turn? You know, someone says, you know, Hi, Donald, how are you? And I I immediately said, I'm fine, how are you? It's almost like I never give the question an opportunity to marinate in and say, you know, thanks. You know, I my day's been good. You know, I have a few challenges, and you know, maybe sometime we can talk about it, but thanks for your interest. And are you really interested in how somebody is, or is that just a ritual that we play? And I'm not against rituals. What I'm for is authenticity. I'm for genuineness in our engagement with people. So I suggest just watch the dynamics of a conversation to see what you can learn from that. The other thing is, you know, ask yourself on any given exchange or moment, are you a giver or are you a taker, right? So I don't ask people to pay attention. I ask people to give attention, right? Because when I When I think about paying attention, the term pay to me sounds like it's a transactional thing, like I have to give up some currency, right, in my awareness of what I'm talking about rather than where I'm coming from is I am giving you my attention right now, like I'm giving my young child my attention, right? How many times have I been in a coffee shop? I've spent three years writing this book, and I sat, usually sat in a Starbucks or a Pete's. And I watch people, and I watch people with young kids, and these parents they're on their cell phones while their kids are in front of them. I write about this one example where I, I was this man was had his back to me and and his daughter was in front of him and she's playing and coloring and talking to him. And I thought, wow, that's really great. Man's being with his daughter. And I got up to go take out some trash and I could see he wasn't with his daughter. He was on his cell phone. He wasn't giving her his attention. He was giving his cell phone his attention. So I asked people to start paying attention to very simple things that they do, right? You know, I suggest an exercise in the, in, in the morning when you get dressed. I'm assuming that most people put on underwear. I said, instead of starting with your right leg, start with your left leg. Just do that. Now, there might be people who automatically start with their left leg. I said, well, then start with your right leg. Here's the point of the exercise. You have to think about the steps. Otherwise, you're going to trip and fall. We're so used to just doing doing without thinking that we don't pay any kind of mind to this, right? We're not not even giving it to, we're not even paying attention, right? Are you listening more than talking? You know, there's different kinds of listening. We talk, you know, there's, there's hearing. See, my kids are masters at hearing. They could be doing four things and I'm talking to them and I say, Brandon, did you hear what I said? Yes, dad. And then he'll proceed to repeat to me verbatim exactly what I said, but he was doing three other things. Well, I'm like, okay, son, he, he could regurgitate that. So then we hear about this concept called active listening, where the point is to hear what someone said, and then you repeat to them, you know, so what I hear you're saying, Umar, is this and then you go, yeah, that's right. So we were trained in that. And I want to take it a step further to what I call presence, listening, presence, listening, that's where you're engaging your full body. It's like if you're, uh, I guess, if, if you're like a Catholic and you go to confession and the priest is taking your confession, or if um, I, you could probably think of other examples, but your whole being is connected to that person. that you. It's not about just regurgitating what the person said. It's it's the difference between, and this this is a little made-up story that I put in the book. It's called giving somebody the candy bar. So the candy bar metaphor is it's the difference between saying, Umar, I'm eating this candy bar and it's chocolate and it, it's sugar, and you know, it looks like this, and and you know, I'm describing the candy bar to you, versus I hand you the candy bar. You take the candy bar from me and you sink your teeth into it. And now you get what that candy bar tastes like. That's what I'm talking about when I talk about presence listening. So you can practice this. You can practice this. You know, you practice this with your teachers. You can practice this with your spouse. You can just take a minute and like completely be engulfed in what they're communicating. So to me, manners is all of that. Manners is the manner in which you show up in the world. We know from research that body language is just as important in communication as in the words that come out of our mouth. They've actually done tests with this. They've actually had professors who are giving lectures and they showed students a 10 second clip of the professor giving a lecture and they turned the sound off. And after 10 seconds, the students were asked, please rate how you how good you think this professor is. Then they correlated that research data with students who actually took that professor's class. And guess what? The assessments lined up really well. That after 10 seconds, without hearing a dang thing that professor said, the students said, Great professor, I'd love to take his class, whatever it is, just by his facial expressions, and body language. So that's really important, right? So if you're standing talking to somebody... You don't even know who that person is, but you're having a chit chat. But for some reason in your head, you're like bored or you're looking, you know, you're late for something or you're looking for somebody cooler to talk to. What do you do? What happens is your body like literally physically moves to like be out of the way while you're staying there talking to them. Your eyeballs start shifting around your feet. If you really want to see if people are with you in a conversation and you're sitting down, look at their feet. Their feet will point to where they really would rather be. And what I'm saying is subliminally people notice that. I'm asking anybody who's listening to this to imagine the time when they know they were talking to somebody and they know damn well that person was looking right past them or they nobody was home, right? Nobody was home. We've all had that experience. If people work on their manners,
1: amazing things are going to happen. So for someone who is perhaps looking to interview or even looking to shift positions, what are, in your experience, what are some of those maybe one, two, or three manners that you found to be very attractive in a candidate or in a a coworker that you would recommend that they try to work on or, or have? Yeah. So first of all, rule number one,
0: you are always interviewing. The interview isn't when you're in the room sitting across the person asking you questions about a job. Many jobs and interviews, it's already over before you even get in the interview room. Why? Because they've watched you. You know, they've, if, particularly if you're, in, if you're in your own company, right? They, they've seen you interact with people. They already have a sense about you. The interview becomes a formality. So you have to assume you're always interviewing, right? And I have two great examples in my experience, opposite ends that I can share about young people who didn't know they were interviewing me and they had two completely different results. So you're always interviewing. So you have to act like that. You have to think like that. My father used to tell me when I went out to any kind of business occasion, or even social occasion, he used to say, you need to dress as though you're going to run into your next employer. Right? So if you, you know, you walk outside and you are wearing your rags and your shoes are unpolished and, you know, I mean, that's cool. I mean, maybe that's how it is. But if you happen to be standing next to somebody at a, at a social event who's a hiring manager or something that person might be turned off just because of how you dressed. I'm not saying it's right, you know, but I'm saying that that could happen. So rule number 1, you're always interviewing, you have to think about that. Number 2, practice. You have to practice interviewing. And the better the better the good way to practice is have your interview videotaped and then watch yourself and have professional people critique you. This is what happened before when I was selected as a presidential intern. They put us in front of a a hypothetical interview panel and gave us questions, and they videotaped the whole thing. And I got finished with that interview. I'm like, oh, wow, man, that was pretty good. I'm pretty good at this. That's really great. Then I watched the video, and I was in shock. Do you know... What I saw, Umar, 70 percent of the time while I was being interviewed in this mock interview, I was I might as well have been interviewing my notebook because my head was down. I never looked up. I was looking at my notebook. (laughs) I'm like, who would hire me? if i Who would hire me? I wasn't I wasn't talking interviewing the notebook. I was interviewing these guys. And then I kept, you know, I counted how many ums and er and you know, I'm scratching, you know, I was doing all this stuff. I was looking at this on the video. People understand this. People, let me let me tell you, people understand what I'm talking about. The other mistake that I made was, and people can tell that I love to talk, but see, I know I know better. I know I like to talk, but at the time I didn't know I talked a lot. Is that when you get a question that you're not sure about, right? What what I tend to do is I kept talking, you know, and I and I have a name for it in the book. I call it verbal shotgunning. You know, a shotgun has pellets. So I'm I'm just spewing out a bunch of words, hoping that some combination of those words are going to be the right words that are going to get me the job. And the person on the end of the table is probably looking at me like, who does this fool think he's talking to? He doesn't know what he's talking about. So you can't just keep talking, hoping you're going to come up with some magic combination. So preparation is really important. My point is this. If you are going to engage with another human being, you need to think about these points.
1: I know we're running short on time, but I wanted to, to talk a little bit about the book. So what is the book called and where can people actually find the book? Where can they uh, look it up if they're interested in, in purchasing it?
0: Well, thank you. The title of the book is Manners will take you where brains and money won't. Manners will take you where brains and money won't. And the subtitle is wisdom from mama and 35 years at NASA. It's available on Amazon, just Google on Amazon, or you get into Barnes and Noble. Or um, if you go to my website, uh, there's links to, you know, there's the ISBN number of the book and my website is simply my full name, Donald Gregory James, donaldgregoryjames.com. And um, yeah, so it's available as a paperback and it's available as an ebook. I don't have it as an audio book yet, but maybe I will. But uh, uh, that's that's where you can get it. And I I think it's make a great graduation present for anybody who's uh, graduating and thinking about the next step.
1: No, that's great. I will make sure to put it in the show notes. Now, this is a question that I ask uh, most of my guests. What inspires you?
0: I'm inspired by people's transformation story. I, I get so motivated by people who transform themselves for good. Um, this could be somebody who was severely overweight, who transformed themselves and got their health together. Uh, this is, um, there was a young man that I knew that this was, this was so transformative to me. It, it it often makes me emotional just to talk about it. This was a young man who was in a street gang and he, his business in the street gang was to hurt people. And somebody got to him and said, why don't you it was he was in high school, he said, why don't you try out this robotics program? It was a robotics program that we fund at NASA. And he got into the robotics program and he found his calling. He changed his life. He ended up going to MIT, becoming an engineer. And he is a functioning, productive citizen. So NASA had the opportunity, because of its programs, to change this young man. And I, when I think about you know challenges that I have, I think about this young man and say, if he can go from being a gang member to being an MIT graduate, then quit whining, Donald. Um, so people who set their mind to something and not just accomplish something, you know, a lot of people can accomplish goals and things like that. I'm talking about people who really transform their lives and that, that inspires me because they, it's almost like they throw themselves completely open to the universe and says, I'm at the universe's mercy and, and, and their life changes. And so that's, that's what inspires me. Any final message for our listeners before we wrap up? Well, the final message that I want to say is, I if you're genuinely interested in cultivating your manners as a way of doing better for yourself and giving more to yourself and to others, then one of the ways I think is important to do, and I do write about this, is to have people in your life that you can go to that support you. And I'm not just talking about your friends who will always you know, pat you on the back when you're down and say, that's okay, it's not you, it's them. I'm talking about the people that will say, you know what, it is you. Hmm. It's not them, it's you. And your problem is, it's your manners. And here's how I see it. You have to have the courage to have people tell you the truth as they see it. And I talk about where you can get teammates from, your inner circle of friends, your associates, professional experts, even your family members. And not everybody is worthy and deserving of being on your team, but you need to cultivate that team. And you have to have, give them permission, give them permission to tell you the truth as they see it. And it could be really personal and it could be really unhelpful I mean, not unhelpful, excuse me. It could be really uncomfortable. That's what I wanted to say. You have to be willing to be uncomfortable. If you're not willing to be uncomfortable, you just want it to be the way it is, then I don't think you're going to grow. And that's true in any field, I think. But in terms of cultivating your manners, which I think is the key, right, to move forward, have people in your life who are willing to look at you and tell you the truth as it is. Many years ago when I was a young teenager, my dad told me when we were on a trip, we were in Greece, and he pulled me aside after we were talking to the proprietor of this business. He said, son, you got a big mouth, and you need to learn how to control that big mouth or it's going to get you into trouble. That was the only time I remember my father disciplining me, the only time, and I never forgot about it. And what I learned from that is, yes, I do have a big mouth. But now I know better, and I know how to control it when I need to.
1: And that took me where brains and money won't. Yeah, no, well said. Thank you for sharing that. Donald, thank you very much for coming on the podcast and sharing that knowledge with us. I'm sure listeners will will love to get some nuggets out of that. Thank you very much. My pleasure.
0: My pleasure. It was a real treat, Omar. Thank you. Thank you very much.
1: That was my interview with Donald James. And as I re-listened to our conversation, I was well aware of the fact that not everyone had the right parental guidance when it comes to having good manners. But if this episode resonates with you, maybe it's because you came to the realization that you need to improve that part of who you are, and the fact that you are trying to be a better person, to have better manners, deserves recognition. So I encourage you to continue to grow and to be the best possible version of yourself because it's never too late to be the person you aspire to be and everyone can change for the better. If you've enjoyed listening to the podcast, it would really mean a great deal to me if you could let me know by rating the show and leaving a review. Reviews help more people discover the podcast and learn from the information that I share. So thank you. You can find the show notes for today's episode on my website at omarjang.com forward slash session 37. Thank you for spending part of your day with me today. And until next time, please stay safe and motivated. Goodbye.
0: Thank you for listening to the Motivational Voice Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and rate it on iTunes. Get show notes and the latest blog posts at omarjang.com.